Jason is traveling on speeches, and Dale is on his motorcycle riding the Cascade Mountain Range somewhere in Oregon. I'm Michael Brandvold, and I usually handle social media and the website for Jason, but this week, I am happy to introduce part two of his guest appearance on the Bloomberg Quint podcast, Business Next. In this episode, Jason discusses the toolkit to build a high-speed company. Take it away. I V M. Hello and welcome. This is Govind Rajathiraj presenting to you the latest segment of Business.Next on Bloomberg Quint. I'm in conversation with Jason Jennings, a researcher and one of the most successful and prolific business and leadership authors in the world. His Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Business Week and New York Times bestsellers include books like It's Not the Big That Eat the Small, It's the Fast That Eat the Slow and more recently The High Speed Company, which we've just talked about in an earlier segment. Jason Jennings, thank you very much for rejoining us. Uh, listen, it is great to be with you, Govan. Right. So in this segment, we're going to talk about toolkits. We're going to talk about or try and understand how can companies or individuals or business leaders actually try and do some of the things that you've, we talked about in the earlier segments about building a focus, focus set of principles, uh, a focus set of tactics, not deviating from them and learning from the mistakes that everyone else has made. So one of the questions that many companies or business leaders would typically ask today uh, including in countries like India, is that I'm a large company that has survived all this while, fought liberalization, uh, managed to become globally con- competitive, and yet I'm facing these new sets of challenges, and it's very likely that I will be eaten up or removed from the marketplace. So how do I bring everything together for that big push? All right. I'm going to give you the uh, points, uh, and and a couple of these we will have talked about in segment one, so people should uh, listen to that again. But let me take you through everything they need to do. And none of these are negotiable. Uh, they, they all build on another. First of all, you have to ask yourself, do we have a vision and mission or do we have a purpose that resonates with people? Millennials and Generation Z want to be involved in something which helps the world, helps the planet, helps people, is doing something big. And as soon as they join your company and discover you're not doing something big, they have no compunction whatsoever about moving someplace else very, very quickly. They want to have meaningful work. The only thing that can, bu- can provide people meaningful work is having a purpose. Next, you have to have that set of guiding principles I talked about. Four, five, or six guiding principles by which all decisions are made and by which everyone is told. Go out and make decisions in accordance with these principles and you will never be criticized. Number three, growth has to become one of the guiding principles. Every large company that has remained viable and successful exists to grow. But now I'm going to turn this upside down. They do not exist to grow to benefit their shareholders. That is old world thinking. Uh, Aero Electronics, a company that I'm incidentally going to be with next week and I write about in one of my books, is a $30 billion a year company. Uh, They employ about 18,000 people around the world in about 450 offices, and they've always been involved in the electronic componentry business. So components for all devices at some point in time pass to the hands of Aero Electronics. But many, many years ago, their CEO, Michael Long, realized that components become increasingly commoditized 
margins become eroded, and we must have a strategy before becoming a technology services company. And all he ever talked to me about was growth, growth, growth. And I said, Michael, why do you talk about growth all the time? Are your shareholders so gritty? And he looked at me like I had just fallen off the back of a turnip truck, and he said, you think we grow for the benefit of our shareholders? And I said, well, yeah. He said, no, 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 no. He said, we make our shareholders very happy, very pleased by making our shareholders number three. He said, first of all, we grow for the benefit of our people. Secondly, we grow for the benefit of our customers. And if we grow for the benefit of our people and we grow for the benefit of our customers, then the shareholder by proxy becomes number one. And then he looked at me and he said, we have 18,000 associates here. Every one of them wants to make more money. Every one of them worth keeping wants a promotion. He said, if we are not growing, we don't have money to pay them more. And then they're going to leave to improve their lot in life. And he said something amazing for a CEO to say. He said, if anybody ever leaves Arrow to make more money, if anybody ever leaves Arrow to get a promotion, if anybody leaves Arrow to develop their career, I should no longer be the CEO and president of this organization. Growth is a guiding principle. We exist to grow because we do great things and because we want to keep the right people, which allows us to keep the right customers, which allows us at the end of the day to make the shareholder very satisfied. So big companies have to make growth a guiding principle. It has to be we will grow by creating value. And the secret isn't trying to figure out how to goose the revenues, how to goose the profitability for the quarter. The question is, how do we create more value for our customers? Next, a large company has to be prepared to let go and discard. They've got to let go of ego. They've got to let go of yesterday's breadwinners. They've got to let go of same old, same old. And they've got to let go of conventional wisdom. Those are the four killers of large enterprises. Next, great leaders of large companies today. It used to be possible in a different world to manage cold and calculatingly by your head. Today, great leaders manage by allowing their heads to meet their heart. They want to make things better for every member of all their constituencies. Next, great companies have to do something unreasonable. Uh, as George Bernard Shaw said, he said, uh, well, in fact, in fact, I do this in all of my speeches. I look out at the audience, and I've done this with several Indian audiences, too. <laughs> and I look out at the audience, and I say, uh, would you call yourself reasonable people? And every head is nodding up and down. Yes, we're reasonable people. And I said, well, how sad, how sorry that you want to be reasonable people. Because reasonable people have a tendency to just go along with whatever is presented to them. Unreasonable people, according to George Bernard Shaw, are going to force the world to conform to their view of how the world ought to be. And he concluded, therefore, for any change or improvement in dance, music, the arts, research, medicine, look to the unreasonable man or woman because the a reasonable man or woman will just go along. So a, a big company has to become unreasonable in their purpose. They have to have strong financial controls, which most companies, already, large companies already have. And then they have to understand they exist to create a wow customer service experience. Now, those things, uh, that's a long list. 
Um, but those are the things that if a large company wants to remain relevant, that's it. And, and let's remember where these things came from. Um, they don't come from me. They come from our research into 220,000 companies. So these are now cast in stone. Uh, these are now facts after that body of research has been completed. So purpose, guiding principles, growth must be a guiding principle. You must be prepared to let go and discard of what got you to where you are. You've got to allow your head to meet your heart halfway in your leadership. You must be unreasonable in what you're trying to achieve. You have to have maintain strong financial controls, and you have to exist right. to create a wow customer service experience. And if, you, and if you don't do those things, you're toast, and you should go away. So one of the interesting things that uh, I, I not, noted in your book was that, you know, so the expectation is uh, or the belief would be that to build such companies or to sustain such organizations, you have to have type A executives, you have to be burning energy and uh, effort all the time. You have no time to breathe. It's uh, But uh, what you seem to argue is that it's actually the other way around. Uh, yeah, I will tell you. I mean, these companies have an intensity, but the intensity is because of a love for what they do. Uh, I'll, I'll give you, uh, let me give you an example. Um, 16 years ago, uh, I'm, I'm a big gym rat. I go to the gym all the time, and I have for about 30 years. And 16 years ago, uh, I hired a new trainer, and his name was Jeff Marth. And he was just starting out. He was a young trainer. And he had a bachelor's degree, a master's degree. And I was just very impressed with this guy. And so what did I, and he was just starting out. What did I do? I told all of my friends and a couple of other early clients told all of their friends. And before you knew it, he was booked 50 to 60 sessions a week and the most successful trainer in the gym. If I buy a new kitchen appliance, because I love to cook as well. And I mean, it's really great. What do I do? I tell other people, you know, if your company is doing something great, if your company is doing something meaningful, if your company is thrilling and delighting people, what you want to do is you want to share that with people. That's that, that's the excitement and enthusiasm that I'm talking about. But I'll tell you what, I see a lot more frenzied and frightening activity going on in companies that are not reinventing, that are not doing well. That That's when activities become quite frenzied. So, uh, well, I'm not... Well, I'm not ready to say high-speed companies and reinventing companies are relaxed. I, I wouldn't say that, but 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 they're excited for the right reason. They're excited because they're doing something wonderful. They're part they're part of something life-changing. They're they're positively impacting the lives of people. They have a purpose, and and what greater thing could be than to share what that is with other people? That's the enthusiasm, and that's the excitement. But it's not the frenzied activity of desperation that you see in companies that are just grasping for a lifeline and trying to stay alive. Right. I, I, I know it flows logically, but I, I think it's, it merits asking the question anyways. So if I'm an entrepreneur now starting out, I mean, you talked about big companies and principles. Uh, you know, when if, if I'm an entrepreneur starting out, I've raised capital and I'm building an organization, is, do the same principles apply? Is there anything different from what you've seen and looked at uh, in your experience? Um, I... I believe, and generally what I believe doesn't matter, but based on the body of my work and the body of the research of my teams and of these 220,000 companies, the exact same rules apply. The exact same rules apply. 
I mean, purpose, principles, growth as a guiding principle. Be prepared to let go. Allow your head to meet your heart. Be unreasonable. Establish strong financial controls and exist to create a wow customer. You know, if um, I, I have to tell you, um, if, if I had, uh, uh, Govin, uh, a nickel or a dime or a quarter or a dollar bill for everybody who had told me through life, uh, my companies big were different. My companies small were different. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm just beginning. I'm different. My market is different. My target, where I'm located, is different. I, I mean, I'd have an extra million dollars in, in in the bank. And what those people are doing is they're being an absolute veritable excuse factory. I mean, they're 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 trying to make somebody else own where they are. And I, and I won't go there. The rules for big companies, the rules for small companies, the rules for entrepreneurs just starting out are exactly the same. What I've shared with you, uh, those those things, are actually the secrets, uh, the, the, the net result of all of our research for eight books uh, into uh, more than 220,000 companies on the subjects of, of speed and innovation and growth and leadership and all the topics we've covered. Those are the secrets. And... And they apply to everybody just the same. Right. People are an integral part of any growth process. And, and I want to uh, pose two slightly different and perhaps allied questions. So, you know, uh, uh, entrepreneurs like Reid Hoffman have talked about blitzscaling, you know, very, very rapid growth because that's the nature of the technology world. You've got to grow so fast that you capture the market faster than anyone else and so that you become so big that uh, no one can really beat you. Right. On the other hand, uh, you need great people. And you've quoted examples like Amazon, where, you know, there is there are multiple or even for that matter, Google, where candidates are interviewed multiple times. There is a lot of emphasis on establishing whether there is alignment of purpose and alignment of principles before actually taking them on. Because once you've got they are the right people, then obviously everything else follows. So how do you look at these two situations of extreme, let's say, growth objectives versus getting the right people and the right fit, who also will ensure that they will be long-term value created. Okay. Well, so let's take a look. Look, uh, Reid Hoffman uh, built LinkedIn, uh, and congratulations uh, to him. And uh, he is the one that created the, fr- uh, the phrase blitz scaling. So um, he himself admits to having some trepidation about the term because blitz scaling is derived from a military term, blitzkrieg, and what a blitzkrieg was, uh, in many wars and battles, you had to wait for armaments and, and trucks and tanks and planes to, to reach the front of the enemy lines before you moved in. And blitzkrieging, it's when a military unit takes only what they can carry, and they rush in and try to defeat the enemy. And as Hoffman says, you can either win big or you can die. And so what, what I would tell people is this. You know, if you're 20... 25, 30 years of age, you're unmarried, mm-hmm. you have no obligations, you have no children, and you have the time to start over again. If you want to blitzkrieg and throw everything you've got at the wall and hope something sticks, <laughs> well, I say, you don't go for it. That's wh- that's why the flag flies. And, uh, and that's why we live in the world as we do. But I will tell you this, that many more will fail than will ever win. Uh, we only hear the stories of Fred Smith at Federal Express, who founded Federal Express on his credit cards and made it big. We don't hear about the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. I hear the stories of people who don't. So that's 
blitzkrieging, just throwing it all against the wall and seeing if something uh, will stick. Um, I think, on the other hand, the test of time. Uh, so I, so what I study is, um, uh, I, 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 so very early on in my career, I, I was sitting with my publisher Adrian Zakheim in New York at Penguin Random House, and I said, uh, I want to write a book about failure. And he looked at me funny, and he said, What, what are you talking about? And I said, I want to, I want to like do postmortems. I want to do like autopsies on companies that I have failed. And he said, he looked a tough, tough New Yorker, tough guy. And he said, are you stupid? And I said, excuse me? He said, you know, Google success, Google failure. There's uh, there's a hundred times more entries for success than there, are, uh, than there are for failure. Nobody wants to read about failures. But I will tell you, based on the breadth of knowledge that we have gained from, from our immense research effort, I, I, I would tell you this. Companies that set out with the rules that I've outlined for you, the guiding principles that I've outlined for you, and companies that set out and do exactly what you mentioned in your question, they don't hire anybody. You know, most hire, most companies hire for capabilities. We have a job for this position. Let's go to HR and have them interview people for capabilities. What a stupid thing to do. I mean, they should begin interviewing people saying, here's who we are. Here's who we're trying to do. Is this something that you might like to be part about? part of? Then, if they want to be part of how you're trying to change the world, impact the world, and make something po- make a positive impact, then you can take a look at their capabilities. But what we do is we we hire on capabilities and then ask them to join a community of change. That's that's ass backwards. That's doing everything totally backwards. So uh, look, every organization has a culture. Every organization of more than two people has a culture, and it's one of two cultures. It's either the culture you want the organization to have, whether it's startup, whether it's big, whether it's small, whether it's new, whether it's young, whether it's old, and it's one of two cultures. It's either the culture that you want it to have, or it's a culture that exists by default, and the culture that exists by default is everybody out for themselves. And when you have a company filled with people out for themselves, you are not going to have a company whose success is going to withstand the test of time. Okay, so Jason, what's the next era of successful organizations looking like? Okay, well, you're asking me to be Nostradamus, so to speak, or uh, to read the tea leaves. And, uh, and you know what? I actually think that I'm, I may be lucky uh, or fortunate because my research teams and I are in front of so many companies uh, so much of the time. And each year I conduct about 1,000 interviews in preparation for the customization of speeches I'm going to be doing that, that maybe, I am in a, maybe I'm in a decent position to tell you what I think things are going to look like. So the next era of successful organizations, first of all, I, I, I strongly believe that managers will not be needed uh, because all managers do is count stuff. Did everybody show up on time? What are our accounts receivable? What are our accounts payable? How many vacation days have been taken? What is our inventory? So managers, millions of managers around the world have historically counted stuff. Well, as we know, uh, technology counts stuff much better than people. And, and we've seen the ranks of middle managers disappear, I mean, throughout the past two decades. I believe that AI is going to have the, the biggest impact on business, uh, a greater impact on business that we can possibly imagine. So I think managers largely are going to go away. I'll, I'll give you a good example would be this. Uh, we have uh, a phrase, HRM, human, human resource management. What a dumb phrase. We don't need human resource managers. It's a phrase that will be disappeared and replaced with HRD, human resource development. 
human resources is not going to be responsible for compliance, for getting people paid, counting when they show up, counting their vacation days. That's going to be a function of AI. HR is going to be all about developing people. And uh, and so that's going to change. Uh, people who can create solutions that make lives people's lives easier, more enjoyable, healthier, less stressful, more fun, and more fulfilling will be more in demand than they have ever been. Solution providing is where it's going to be. And I believe that the next era, and I'm seeing it happen already, um, the next era is going to be marked by much more thoughtful leaders uh, who understand that every CEO, every managing director, every president, everybody who's running an organization, everybody who owns a business, their role is to be a good steward of five different groups. Number one, workers. Number two, customers. Number three, vendors and suppliers. Number four, shareholders. And number five, the planet. And they have a singular task. Their job is to improve everything for every member of all five of those constituencies. So I would tell you this. My first book came out 20 years ago. I've enjoyed doing these eight books so much, and I look forward to future books. But I have never been more excited about the state of leadership and the future of business as I am right now. And all I can say is, uh, bring it on. The future is just so exciting. Okay. Well, last question uh, as we conclude, uh, uh, Jason. So, you know, in your book, I've noticed that, you know, there are some very, very fascinating insights and sometimes not even from meeting or talking to CEOs of companies or business leaders, but merely going along for site visits like you did with Procter & Gamble in Turkey. Yes. What's the most interesting or one interesting example or insight that you can share with us from the last six months, let's say, that you've in your travels uh, and in your many interactions? All right, I would I would have to and listen. I'm I travel about three hundred thousand miles a year, and I also have a podcast. My host always says every time you go on a trip, you come back with another remarkable insight. And how do you do that? And I say, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think it's a special skill or talent. I just leave myself open for the experience. So I'll share one that occurred just last week. Uh, I was uh, doing an event for a company in Northern California. It's a mid-sized company, about $500 million a year. Uh, successful. They're growing about double digits. Uh, they've been growing double digits every year for about eight years. And I was with their leadership team of about oh, 60 to 100 people. And so I taught for 90 minutes. And then we took a 20-minute break. And then we came back. And we divided these eight, 80 to 100 people into groups of about 10. So we had about 10 groups of 10. And then each table or each group was assigned one of the elements of my speech. And just like the content today, one of them was about purpose. One of them was about letting go. One of them was about being a good steward leader or a servant leader. And they were all tasked with answering the question, how can we use this point so our company can achieve its full potential? So we gave them an hour uh, of discussion time. I worked the room uh, facilitating, answering questions, keeping them all on point, keeping them coming up with specifics. And then each table got up to make a several-minute presentation about the things they believed that the company could do to use these things to get closer to where they want to be. 
And I will tell you, um, as I listened to their reports, I was like, I don't believe what I'm hearing. I am hearing more great ideas that I've ever heard in my life. And the event was close enough that it was the first time I've ever done a speech I didn't have to fly to. And so I was being driven home and I was sitting in the back seat. And for the several hours of the drive, I was thinking, we always talk about our people being our most important asset. And we always talk about the importance of culture. Why in the hell don't we pay more attention to listening to our people and pay more attention to the culture? Chances are very, very good. It's your people who are at the cool face every day, interacting with your customers, manufacturing what you do, creating the services you offer. You will never run out of new ideas and new ways to remain relevant if you listen. But you know what? In most companies, we just don't have, we have not set up a way to tap into this tremendous fount of knowledge and all of these incredible ideas. And so that was one of the most impactful things that's happened to me recently, just realizing where all the answers really are and wondering why don't we do a better job of mining that. Right. That's a wonderful note to end on. Jason Jennings, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Galvin, it has been great being with you. I hope we get to meet one day in person. I hope we get to do it again. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't forget to tune in on BloombergQuint.com or IBM podcast app for the latest edition of Business.Next podcast every week. Look, up in the internet, it's a meme. No, it's a cat video. No, it's the Geek Fruit podcast. That's right. We interrupt this riveting broadcast to tell you about our show, The Geek Fruit Podcast, where Tejas, Dinkar, and I, Jishnu, talk about everything in pop culture, including DC, Marvel, Star Wars, Netflix, and everything in between. You know how your friends hate it when you ramble about some nerdy crap and you just want somebody to listen to you? Well, sorry, there's nothing we can do about that, but come listen to us ramble and it'll almost be like the real thing. Kind of. Listen to new episodes of The Geek Fruit Podcast every Monday and The Geek Fruit Bulletin every Thursday on iTunes, Google Podcasts, the IVM app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy listening, you nerds. Every week comes a show where three people come together to tell you about stuff they like. A movie. A TV show. A book and other stuff. Tune in every Monday on the IVM Podcast app to IVM Likes. Batman approves this message. Thank you, Batman.